today. I know some of the back roads are still uh, snow-covered and ice-covered, and it's a little nasty out there, but I am so glad to see that you made it today. Uh, I want to share a couple things with you. Wednesday at 11 o'clock, my Aunt Virginia passed away, and we'll have her service here. And uh, she always sat back with Woodrow and Pauline. So uh, she was diagnosed with the cancer, and about a week later she passed. So just remember her family. And uh, also my son-in-law, his father passed away yesterday, and they are on the way in. So pray for JT and Crystal and their family. His Kindred Guffey passed, and uh, just uh, keep them in your thoughts and in your prayers. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 11, and we're going to uh, look at this very familiar story, but I've entitled the message, God Has Some Strange Ways, doesn't he? I mean, doesn't God have strange ways? I mean, you know, we think that God ought to act like we think God ought to act, and we think he ought to do what we think he ought to do, and we think he ought to do it in the timing in which we think he should do it, right? I mean, that's, that's how we react. And when God doesn't act like we think he should act, it's difficult for us to understand. And, and we're like, God, what's up with that? And in our text in John chapter 11, Jesus doesn't act like we expect him to act. I mean, we expect him when he hears that his good friend Lazarus is sick to pack up and go. But he doesn't. And we're like, we know the rest of the story, so we, don't, we kind of take it for granted. But, but when you think about it, I mean, think about it like this. When your family member is sick, what do you do? You want to get to them. If there's an emergency, what do you want to do? You want to get where they're at. And you immediately leave everything else, and you go. And uh, obviously, with the raising of Lazarus, that's the greatest of Jesus' miracles, apart from his own resurrection. Uh, And every miracle that Jesus performed, I mean, many more believed, but even though many more believed, you also had this contingent that every time Jesus performed a miracle, you had this group that opposition grew sharper, harsher. They became more belligerent toward Jesus and the things that he said and the things that he done. And uh, kind of what happens when the gospel strikes, isn't it? I mean, when we're confronted with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we're confronted with the gospel. It's always tension. There's always opposition. And there's always this give and take. And you have those of us who are believers, when we are confronted with the gospel, we're, yes. But when non-believers are confronted with the gospel, they're like adamantly opposed. I don't want to hear that. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? So what Paul's saying, there's this tension that goes on. And uh, some people, they get free as we sing our song. And some are delivered. And, and some are given hope. And some are healed. And and some are, 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 are brought out of bondage, while others are resentful, and they're angry, and they're resistant. And they oppose, and they fight the gospel. They try to suppress the gospel, and they don't want the word of truth going out. And we see, obviously, that taking place in our society today, don't we? Stand with me. 
We're going to read the first four verses, and we'll go down through verse 16 eventually, but now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Let's pray. Father, as we approach this story that we are all so familiar with, Sometimes that familiarity allows us to not really see the tension in the story, to see the emotion of the story, to know how these sisters felt and how Lazarus was in decline. But also, Lord, it's hard for us to get our minds wrapped around the actions of Jesus because we expect you, Lord, to do things like we want you to do in our timing in our ways and father when you don't respond that way it's confusing to us Jesus disciples were confused Martha and Mary were confused but Lord your timing is always perfect so give us wisdom and give us open hearts open minds and open ears to receive your truth For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. There are about four or five points I want you to see today in this story. And and, and the first one is this. There was a loving home that was in Bethany. And that was kind of a haven for Jesus to go to. And it was kind of a a place for reprieve and a a place for rest and and healing and, and comfort. Because Jesus was always criticized wherever he would go and you always had this group that were adamantly opposed to him and they were willing to stone him willing to take his life as we saw last week but in these opening words of these first few sentences we get the nature of this family now think about it in Luke's gospel in chapter 10 verse 38 it said now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So Martha, we know, was the caregiver. She was the one that was always serving and, and giving and helping and encouraging. And so the house seems to belong to Martha. But if you read John chapter 11, verse 1 in the RSV, it says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of, his Beth, of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So it seemed like the village almost belonged to Mary and the house belonged to Martha and everyone knew Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I mean, they were well known in their area. And uh, we know that Martha was a housekeeper and she was frequently forthright. I mean, Jesus tell Mary to get up and help me. You know, that's kind of how we feel. I mean, what are you doing sitting there listening when you should be acting? And that's how things went. Mary, on the other hand, was more shy, more reserved, more understanding of truth, more mystical. And in verse 2, we find out these words. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, 
whose brother Lazarus was sick. We know that's next chapter. That's later. But we're told here about that event. And, and that she was always the one that was there at Jesus' feet, wanting to listen, wanting to learn, wanting to grow. But what John is telling us in our text is this is a home filled with love. And you know there's nothing better than going to a home that's filled with love. Where there's, you don't have that tension. You don't have that stress. You just have that warmness, that openness, and, and that ability to come in and worship and, and love one another and to enjoy one another. So this was a house that was filled with love. I mean, Mary loved Jesus. Martha loved Jesus. Lazarus loved Jesus. And Jesus loved them. But they also loved one another. These siblings, they cared for one another. I mean, it was, it was this environment that Jesus would go in to be able to relax and be comfortable. But we notice in verse 4 something happens. The sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, whom you love is sick. Now, what's the first thing we're going to do? I mean, first thing we're going to do is pack our bags and go, right? We're going to get in the car. We're going to make some phone calls. We're, we're going to be sure that we're there because that's how we respond. But that's not how Jesus responds. I mean, the word comes, you know, Jesus, listen, your friend Lazarus is ill. Come now. I mean, what, what, what would you expect? Listen, that, put, put yourself in that situation. You get the phone call. You answer it. Hey, your father's sick. Your mother's sick. What are you going to do? Oh, okay, thank you. No, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to immediately go, aren't you? You're going to immediately desire to be there with them. But Jesus hears these words. And he says, okay, that's good. Thank you for the information. And he waits. He waits two more days before he goes. I mean, like, what? I mean, why? What would you do? Wouldn't you immediately pack your bags and go? Wouldn't you immediately head to be with your family? I mean, we drop everything, don't we? We head to the emergency room. We head to the hospital. We head to see what they need. And the disciples are confused by this. And, and they're like, Lord, what are you doing? You know, sometimes sickness isn't because of sin. Sometimes sickness is because God wants to be glorified through it. And what we have to learn is that the most important thing in life is not what happens to us, us but that He is glorified through us. And we don't always understand that. Lord, I don't understand why I'm saying I don't understand what's going on here. Help me understand. The second thing in verse 5 and 6 that I want you to see is this loving weight. Watch what happens here. Now Jesus, it says clearly, he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. I mean, doesn't that just seem like out of context? I mean, all right, thank you for the information. I'm going to go ahead and wait. I mean, we expect Jesus to rush to the family to be there at their side, to help them, to encourage them, even to heal Lazarus. But you know, God always has a purpose 
in what he does and his timing and his love for us. And every purpose has an exact appointment. It's tough. I mean, it's hard to believe. I mean, we can't even imagine it. Jesus waiting, but he does. You know, when we think of critical illness, we think of sirens, don't we? We think of flashing lights. We, we think of, of fast drives to the hospital or to the emergency room. And, and, and our, our, our whole point is we've got to be there as soon as possible. Yet Jesus stays two more days, and our text clearly tells us that he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. <laughs> the question that we all know the answer to, because we get it in our text, is why. Why? I mean, why, 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 why? Have you ever said that? Have you ever asked why? Not just spiritual matters, but why? I mean, why, why did I lose my job? Why, 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 what happened? Why did this happen? Why did my spouse leave me? Why did my children disobey me? Why? We ask those questions, don't we? Why, why, why? I don't understand. God, what is going on with this? You know, it's not a bad thing to ask why. But know this, you won't always get an answer. That's a tough thing. Lord, uh, I don't understand. I mean... You think about Jesus' presence with them. It could have been an incredible blessing and tremendous comfort. But Jesus says, well, okay. And then he says, Lazarus is dead. He waits two days. I mean, we get the answer in 5 and 6, as I read. But we often kind of overlook that. But we need to understand that this applies to us in our everyday life. When we cry out to God and the heavens are silent, have you ever prayed a prayer knowing that God was going to answer it and it didn't happen? Huh. You ever prayed for healing from a family member and it didn't happen? Have you ever prayed, Lord, where are you at? And, and you're listening, but you don't hear anything. Have you ever been there? God, I don't understand. What's going on with this? It's tough. When God doesn't act like we think God should act. Right? As Rob said in our Sunday school class, often... Is WA, excuse me, is, is uh, we, we look at God's delays as denials. And we say, God, I expected this to happen, but this is what happened. God, I expected you to do this, but God, you did this. Or we're just kind of tapping our toe and waiting, Lord, are you going to do anything? Are you going to do anything? And it seems like it just doesn't happen. <laughs> Let me give you an example. In Shelby, Brazil used to be York. Was seven years old, she broke her arm. Her mother, Darla, called me and told me that she was at the doctor's office and she was wanting me to come and pray with her. So I 
drive to the doctor's office. I'm a young pastor, you know, just been here a short period of time. And I go in, and there's Shelby with tears in her eyes and her arm. And she says, pray, Brother John. Pray. So I, I went over and put my hand on her shoulder, and I prayed for her. And as soon as I said amen, she looked at me and said, it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't take the pain away. It didn't heal her arm. It didn't work. You ever felt like that? It didn't work. <laughs> what, what's wrong? It didn't work. But these deliberate delays by God are sometimes to build our faith and our trust for something greater than what we presently see. Because, you know, we only have the worm's eye view, not the sky view. Not the view from those of us that are hog fans, hog heaven. We have this view down here. And, and, and we don't see very clearly because all we see is this. But God sees it all. And God knows it all. And he knows the ultimate outcome and what it will be. But that's such a hard lesson for us. And Jesus' disciples are surprised. Look at verses 7 through 10. I mean, this is the loving answer. Then Jesus, excuse me, verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples then, I mean, they're confused because he's waited two days. And there's also some other overlaying issues. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? We just left there, remember? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world, of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. The timing's right. I mean, the timing is now right. It's like, okay, it's time to go. Let's go to Judea. It's time. It's appropriate. Have you noticed that every time that you come to the gospel, it confounds the disciples? It confounds us. It's like, Lord, it didn't seem like that was the right time. I mean, remember last week? I mean, Jesus is going to be stoned. He walks through the crowd. It's not my time. It's not my time. But the time was absolutely right here. Now, the disciples didn't understand his actions. I mean, look, what are you doing, Jesus? They were baffled by his timing, as we often are. And these hard moments, when God does things we don't understand, we can't figure them out. We're baffled by them. They're beyond us. What's Jesus mean in verse 10 when he said, If one walks in the night, he stumbles. Because the light is not in him. You know, he says there's 12 hours in a day. He's referring to God's appointment. That God has an appointed time for everything. There's daylight in which they work back then. Now we have lights, we can work at night. But then they could not. This wonderful symbol by our Lord points something out to us. God has an appointed time for each of us. There is a day to be born, there is a day in which to die, and there is an opportunity to work in between to bring glory 
to him. I mean, think about it. Scripture says in Psalm 31, 15, My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. God, my time, they're in your hand. You've got it. So you know what that means for us? Stop worrying about it. Quit trying to control it. Proverbs, excuse me, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know, we're to have a worthy walk. Paul talks about that constantly in his epistles. We're to walk worthy with the Lord. We're to walk worthy of the Lord in the midst of our brethren, in the midst of our corrupt and evil world. And remember the promises that God gave us in Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. God has a purpose and a plan for all things. And what we need to understand is, Lord, teach me to number my days. Teach me that I'm in your hand. And teach me that I am to honor and bring glory to others because of you. So we have this loving weight. Now we get the answer, this loving answer. And this loving answer is, let's go to Judea. Let's go. Verses 7 through 10. I mean, let's go. The timing is right. Let's do it. And then we have the loving answer to death in verse 11 through 16. Watch what it says next. These things he said. And after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Oh, well, he's just asleep. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus has to get real blunt and plain with them. He's dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was also called the twin, said to him and to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. I mean, kind of off the cuff, isn't it? I mean, oh, all right, let's just go. We'll, we'll die with him. I mean, they're going to stone him. They're going to stone us. <sighs> Standing beside the grave of a loved one, our heart cries out, why? Why? I don't understand, Lord. Especially when there hasn't been this prolonged illness or this diagnosis, and, and, and suddenly we get the call, and they're gone. Right? It strikes at your heart. They're gone. I mean, just imagine the call comes today into your home. They're gone. Stunned. Heartbroken. Why? 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 But you know what Jesus answers? He says, for a believer, death is just like sleep. <laughs> and we're like, wait, does that mean so sleep? No, that means that when you die, what do you do? You rest. When you sleep, what do you do? You rest. You are resting. Death isn't a final farewell where we're never going to see a loved one again when they know Christ. It's just an opening into a greater existence and experience for our loved one that has gone into the presence of the Lord. It is that final farewell. It's I'll see it a bit later. It's what it is. I'll see you shortly. 
heard this illustration years ago. I don't remember who gave it, so I can't quote the person that I heard it from. <clears throat> but it was a pastor, and his wife had died. And they had two, two small children, and they didn't understand what happened. Why? Why did Mama die? And so he was trying to explain it to them. And then it hit him, the perfect illustration. He said, you know, he said, when we're driving on the road, and an 18-wheeler comes beside us and it casts a shadow over us. I said, yeah, I know, I know, I know what you're saying. I said, would you rather be ran over by the shadow or the truck? Well, the little boy said, well, the shadow, Daddy. He said, that's what death is. We didn't get ran over by the truck. We just experienced a shadow. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, listen, that's what death is for those of us who are believers. In verse 15, our text says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. As I've matured after 60 years, or in the process, I understand these words better in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And I understand that better. And used to, I was like, well, yeah, I get that, but really, I don't know. What, what are you trying to say, Lord? Well, God is sovereign. Listen, I don't understand all things, but I'm going to tell you this. When God doesn't answer or act like I think he should answer or act, I'm not going to turn my back on him. You know why? Because he's always been right. And our responsibility is just to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55. When we come to the end of life and we don't understand everything that's gone on and we don't understand why God didn't show up when we thought he should show up or act like we thought he should act or, or, or do what we thought he should do, he says, so when this corruptible, this body, has put on incorruption, glorified with the Lord, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Listen, when we trust Jesus and we stop breathing and our heart stops pumping, we go into the very presence of Almighty God. What a beautiful thing. Amen. So, when God doesn't act like you think God should act, or God doesn't do what you think God should do, or He doesn't show up when you think He should show up, keep the faith. Keep the faith. As Paul said, I fought the good fight, and I finished the course. And there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, 
which not only I shall receive, but he said, all who love his appearing. So you may get tired, but never give up. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful story that you placed in John's gospel. And thank you, Lord, that we don't always have to understand your timing, but we always have to trust you, knowing that you do all things well. And Father, I just pray today, if there's anyone here, that that timing for them has not really seemed in their timing. That you would give them the faith to continue on. And Lord, you'd give them the assurance that there are better things than what we can see presently. So give us your strength. Give us your timing. And let us simply say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.